I really want to see the Oklahoma revival on Broadway. <laughs> it made me think about that a lot. Okay. It's like a modern take. It's amazing. Is someone telling you you're not allowed to go? <laughs> no, it just made, it, this just made me want to see it more than anything. Oh, well, let's go, sweetheart. Okay. We can go. It's okay. <laughs> we can go see Oklahoma on the, on the big Broadway. On the Broadway. We can go. We'll go. Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Bum, bum, Totally improvised. I didn't know. You threw me for a loop, but I was like, I'm on it. I'm on that train. The Express. Oh, you guys, before we get to the show, you know what I'm going to say. Come to the Pride Show, June June 29th, mm-hmm. New York City. I'm doing Pride Tours that morning around the village. Anybody with a ticket to the show is welcome to come. Yeah, there's some things happening. I'm not gonna don't me. I'm not gonna say. But at the show, listen. Okay, listen, Ooh. listen. We uh, we've got some surprises in store at the show. We're not gonna tell you any more than that. No. Although I will tell you that we've got a bunch of drag queens that are gonna be greeting you and hanging out and taking pictures. We we're flying in a fancy comic from L. A. to open the show. Yes. It's gonna be a party, and then there are surprises. Oh my god, with a Z. I know surprises <laughs> with a Z. You guys check out our Patreon for five bucks a month. You get access to all of our bonus episodes. There's like more than eighty. Yeah, we're close to the nineties when we break a hundred things you I guys know. can listen to. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Who else can say that? It's true. You get the episode by episode coverage of The Staircase, Serial, uh, Making a Murderer. The Jinx. The Jinx. Lorena. Lorena, which we finished. We're now on a Madeline McCann. Yeah. Remember when we were up to our eyeballs in Making a Murderer? Yes. <laughs> we were like, oh my God, this is episode four out of 20. And now we like made it through Making a Murderer. We have Lorena. We're doing Madeline McCann. Like we got through it, girl. We did. We did. And we had so much fun. You guys, lastly, I just want to say, look, listen to us on Spotify. If you you're not listening to us on Spotify, go find us there. I have Spotify. We, I was just talking to the Spotify people this morning. This one guy had a really sexy, deep voice, and I said I was oh. going to mention it on the podcast. Well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Oklahoma City and a whole hell of a lot of Nazis, huh? Yeah, look, I learned a lot. We learned about Ruby Ridge. We learned about yeah. Waco. We learned about Nazis. Garbage, garbage, garbage. <laughs> Trifecta. You know, you know how I love when I know where I stand on something? Yes. I never knew I would be so, like, relieved to see so many Nazis and white supremacists in the sense where I'm like, oh, okay. No, we'll just drag them. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. There's no, like, are they guilty? Are they innocent? Where's the evidence? Like, there's none of right. that hemming and hawing, right, which right, can right, get right. goddamn exhausting, and it's necessary. But these people are actual garbage. Yeah. It's fun. We'll just drag them. It's fun to know. Let's do this. I like knowing. The bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on defenseless citizens. You know, I could hear yelling, screaming. He said, you can't go up there, it's too dangerous. But I just kept saying, our baby's right now. And I thought, who has come in here and done this terrible thing? We had all kinds of experts looking for clues. Because at the very first, they had no idea who did it. Then we started getting calls about Middle Easterners, started looking for Middle Easterners. But then someone I spoke to said, do you know what day it is? And immediately it hit me. This is about Waco. Members of the community out there heard automatic weapons fire and explosions coming from the compound. You went back on your word. That is a lie. When I saw the fire, all I could think about with the children in there. Nine adults came out. Not one of them brought a child out. You're next! Wake up and understand! You're next! 
They were really imagining this fortress. It's the new thing in America. It's called the militia. No constable's gonna come and break their door down. They'll shoot them first. FBI agents surround the cabin. All we know at that point, there was a shootout. When it was all said and done, Sammy and Vicki Weaver were dead. The events at Ruby Ridge lit up the radical right. You call yourself an American? These are Americans. You're a disgrace to the white race. And they decided that they would basically declare war on the U.S. There'll be a lot of blood running one day. It was just a lightning moment of recognition. This was the guy in the sketch. Last night, Timothy McVeigh was charged in the bombing of the Murrow Federal Building here in Oklahoma City. I think everybody felt this sudden sense of betrayal. I think everyone thought, you're one of us. If you continue with shit like Ruby Ridge and Waco, this is what's going to happen. Timothy McVeigh, he was the creation of the white supremacist movement. There was a strong connection. All these events, they were all connected. Uh, this movie opens in the most terrifying way possible. Yeah, so just a trigger warning real quick. Yeah. I was not ex- expecting this at all. I mean, maybe I should have, but it's just, you never know. Like, I know we're watching horrible things, but at the same time, it's like, oof. Um, <laughs> I love this new oof thing that you've adopted. <laughs> oh, I've, 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 I've grown from woof. Anyway, um, it opens with the audio of the Oklahoma City bombing. So we're at like a water board resources meeting on April 19th, 1995, 9.02 a.m. You can hear it. You can hear it. Regard to this proceeding, basically, there are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding. The boom is so loud that it does that thing where it like peaks out the audio. It clips. It's called clipping. You're clipping. a podcaster. You should know it. I barely know what I'm it's doing, you clipping. guys. Thank you for going on this journey with me. <laughs> You're welcome. So yeah, so there's a lot. You know, it's the Oklahoma City bombing. It's absolutely horrible. There is very um, just horrifying, nightmarish footage in this, audio and video. And you guys, so much kids. There was a daycare in the building. I texted Jillian. I'm like, when we get to the kids part, I want to go through it in 20 seconds. Right. And we will. I loved this documentary. And the yeah, me reason too. I did is because it wasn't a sadness porn documentary. Uh-huh. Oh, well said. It was like, here's why this horrible thing happened and here's why these select groups are dangerous and why we need to stop them. It was more about the how and the why and not just living in the tragedy of it and not to take away from the tragedy. Right, right, of course. It hits everything. It's I love it. It's fantastic. But just be aware, it's tough at times. We're So we're seeing the devastation of this building. As the chopper goes around the side of the federal building, wow. look at that shot. Holy it is cow. absolutely incredible side of the federal building has been blown off jesse about a a third about a third of the building has been blown away uh this is just devastating the building is just gone i mean and then all of a sudden we're cutting to like neo-nazis and white supremacists doing the sick heil pose yeah i was kind of like right I, I said to Patrick, I was like, I don't know if we could do this. And then in the next text, I was like, oh, they're screaming white power. We'll be fine. <laughs> we got this. So the, the documentary is split up into three sections. Yeah. This first section is called The Spark. Right. We're in northern Idaho. Birds chirping. It's gorgeous. 
Yeah, it really is beautiful. It's really like, oh my God, that's our very round planet. Right. Um, (laughs) And let me say something. We were talking about this today. This is a perfect follow-up to Behind the Curve. Yes. Because this is an example of why we consider Behind the Curve true crime in the sense that those conspiracy theories are so dangerous and we are going to see when people take it to the absolute extreme and then take action on it. It's very dangerous. That's exactly right. So like Behind the Curve was silly and goofy and weird, but this is like the next phase of that. Right, because where does it end? Exactly. So we're in northern Idaho, gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, right, yeah, no, you're welcome. (laughs) Northern Idaho, it's a remote place, it's a predominantly white place, and it's the kind of place where everybody sort of minds their own business. In the 1980s, a lot of extremist groups found a sanctuary there. What do we need? What do we need? One of those groups was the Aryan Nations. So really, it's the Aryan nation that had like moved to this area of the world and like call, made it their home base. Yeah, there's this compound in Hayden Lake, Idaho. Well, I have so many questions about this. Okay. Because we we see this compound, we go into this compound, and every time we see them doing a training exercise or them doing one of their like services or meetings, it's like five guys. It's five bored guys. Right. Well, that's how it started. We hear at the end that there are like about 500 of these groups. Yes. You have to, at first you're like these are, these are the guys. I know. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Totally. So we meet this guy, Richard Butler. Founder of the Aryan Nation. Which is so crazy. And you think that he's going to be terrifying, but he's standing on a porch giving a sermon? There's four guys there. He's like the crazy old man on the corner who's like, oh, he's never going to change his ways. He still like believes that certain people should not be allowed certain things. (laughs) But what's what's kind of, I struggle to use the word fascinating because I don't want it to sound positive in any way. But it's unbelievable to hear him talk about his beliefs. Every major city in the United States is now non-white following the catastrophic destruction of our race in the so-called Civil War or the war between the states. America shall again become white and Christian. There'll be a lot of blood running one day. He's so brazen about it. He's like, yep, I'm a Nazi. I hate everyone who's not white. I hate Jewish people. (laughs) Swastikas all over the place. Confederate flag. Like, there it is. There she is. Like, she might as well. I mean, he would never, but sequence (laughs) come to mind with just the whole, like, here I am. I hate everybody. It's ridiculous. So the thing is that we learn is that white people were super mad about people who weren't white, and they started blaming the government. In the 1980s in America, the white race was becoming the minority race. Racist groups used that uh, as a calling card. Come join us because the white race is going to be driven to extinction. The Aryan nations attracted people from all walks of life who were white. All of them looking for someone to blame for the situation. So we learned about this guy, Robert Matthews. Oh, you guys, God. he's super mad. There's going to be a lot of bell. Everyone we mentioned. But I just don't want to hurt her because she's going to get a big workout today. So I'm trying to be gentle. <laughs> so this guy, Robert Matthews, like, grew up grew up in the Aryan Nation. The whole thing about this guy was like he was sick of the rhetoric and he was like, it's time for action. Right. Because the old guy, Robert, whoever, just wanted to sit on the porch yeah. and spew his hate. <laughs> and this like little whippersnapper was just like, let's just kill a bunch of people. Exactly. Exactly. And he, his whole thing is like he wanted a revolution against the government, which he thought was run by satanic Jews, which doesn't even make sense. I don't I don't understand. From what I've read, Jewish people don't view Satan the way Christians do. Uh-huh. So this is just stupid. Right. Like, satanic <laughs> Jews, the, like, pe- Jewish people are probably like, that's not, we don't, that's impossible. So he's amassing his own little following, mm-hmm. right? He's got, like, 12 or so other followers, and he's formulating a plan 
based on the reading of this book called The Turner Diaries. Let me tell you, my give it a goog history today. Yeah. <laughs> bad luck for me. Gotta go home and clear that shit. I googled the shit out of every name and thing they said. The Turner Diaries. Oof, baron. It's literally like the catcher in the rye for the evil people. He discovered a, a book called The Turner Diaries, written by a racist named William Pierce. It was a fictional account of a group of patriots that came together in a very small number, much like what Bob was planning to do, and overthrow the United States government. And as Bob read this, he thought, this is us. This is the plan we need to follow. So Bob Matthews decides to name his like ragtag group of white supremacists <laughs> the Order, which is named after a terrorist cell in the Turner Diaries. Z Z, that's me sleeping. Z. The thing about it though is that this group, the Order, they describe them as like a small but formidable group. Like they were taking action. Like they're they're like robbing banks. Yeah, like their first robbery was like three hundred and forty two dollars, and then their next one was twenty eight grand. And I'm like, oh shit. I know, but they're also killing people, and everyone's they like a synagogue. I know they're like they didn't care. Whatever they had to do, they just went in and did it. The thing is, they were organized and determined. That's right. the thing. Like, they yeah. care so much about it that they just made it happen. That's terrifying. Hate is a motivator, for sure. Oh my good, yeah. Speaking of which, they decide that they were going to uh, form an assassination squad. Sure. And they pick this, like, radio DJ or something in Denver. This Jewish man who basically didn't have time for their shit. He was like a live garbage bell. Totally. I mean, like, he was ding it. He wasn't garbage. No, I'm saying, like, yeah. he was like a, like a come-to-life garbage bell where he was just, like, making fun of the Aryan nation on the air. He wasn't afraid of them. Yeah, his name was Alan Berg, and he was a, a Jewish radio host, and he was taking their calls. Right. And he's like, are you going to let me talk? Right. Oh, no, because you don't like what I have to say? Click next. <laughs> Line seven. What do you got? Come at me. Like, he didn't give a shit. He's awesome. Right. You're listening to Alan Berg on KOA. You so never please, shut up. Please. I got fed up with you. You never let me get a word edgewise. Get out of here. And he was openly mocking them. And, like, that's the thing, right? Like, these people, when you stand up to them, like, I'm not scared of you. Then that's another, more fuel to their fire. It's so terrifying. You guys, they go to Denver and they actually assassinate this guy. In his own driveway. It was essentially domestic terrorism. It was born and bred Americans inspired by racism, anti-Semitism, and anti-government ideology. So Bob Matthews, like, as organized as they are. This is the, the, you guys, when people who are organized and think that they're big, bad, mean guys right. do something stupid and get busted, it's my favorite thing. Oh, it's the best. So they they are basically, like, knocking over this armored car. Right, it's a Brinks truck. Another thing I had to give a goog. I was what, like, what is that? A, what, a what, what? Brinks truck, that's my drag name. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> Brinks trucks are armored trucks that transport valuables and money. Like, they transported the Hope Diamond. What? Yeah, so if you see one of these, like, there's some serious shit in there. So <laughs> These derpy it's derps. Like the Mona Lisa. Yeah, yeah, for real. And like millions of dollars. So these derpy derps were like, let's go. The derp, blah, 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 blah. But they shot through the windshield. At like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Broad daylight. These guys don't give a fuck. And it had millions of dollars in it. But guess what Bob did? Bob dropped a gun out of his waistband. Oh, no. So the FBI's like taking that real quick. How, here's my question. How do you drop a gun? How do you lose a gun and not know? And when I leave my house, I'm like, wallet, phone, keys, check. Yeah, keys, wallet, phone. Yeah. You don't do that with a gun? You don't like put you don't like do the like, Keith Wallet phone pistol, right? But I think what you said is absolutely right. Like they were just like, oh, we've been bombing synagogues and stealing money. Right. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? But here's something crazy. So remember, I I told you 
there was a connection to flat the behind the curve. Yeah, movie in this? yeah, yeah. So the FBI picks up the gun and they track the order, like the gun order, whatever it is. I don't know anything about guns, <laughs> but they track it to a house on Whidbey Island in Washington. Yeah, that's where Mark Sargent is from. No. Yes. No. Yes, that's where he was standing. Where he's like, that's Seattle. That's no! Whidbey. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. See now, if we were flat earthers, we'd be like, you know what that means. <laughs> See how it happens, everybody. See how easy it is to connect dots that aren't there. So they they go to this house and there's like a standoff. Right. So some people are like, ooh. Later. Like, yeah, I'm like, ooh, this is my stop. I gotta leave. Some of them bail. But Matthews wouldn't surrender. And after a two or three day standoff, the FBI uh, moves in on the cabin and a gunfight uh, occurs. And the building that this guy Matthews is in, the FBI guy was like, it was so dark that we put some illumination rounds. Right. Illumination rounds, that's my drag name. <laughs> Nailed it. They also mentioned that they have so much ammunition in this house. They've got, right. they're gunned up for days. And so the house catches on fire, which apparently triggers all of the rounds that they have in the house. And there are just bullets flying everywhere. And then it was like firecrackers just pop, 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 going off everywhere was the cooking off of the rounds. At daybreak, I walked up to the remains of the house and saw his charred body there. I, I have in my notes, I'm like, Bob Matthews is burnt to a crisp and I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel nothing about it. I feel like, what's next? Mrs. Landingham, what's next? So, well, what's next is that now the government is on like high alert for terrorism. The other thing too is that the FBI starts to infiltrate the Aryan nation and they're wearing wires and they've got cameras. By the mid 80s, the federal agencies had the lesson of the order. So they knew some of the folks that had come out of the Aryan nations were doing bad things. They were committing crimes. They were killing people. So the feds were interested in who's there and what are they doing and what are they planning on doing next? One of the newcomers to the Aryan Nation is this guy. His name is Randy Weaver. Right. Randy Weaver, it, he describes himself as a white separatist. And he lives in this cabin on a mountaintop that he built with his wife. Called Ruby Ridge. They were 50 miles or so from the Canadian border. They had no electricity, no running water, no indoor plumbing. We're talking about a cabin made by Randy Weaver and his wife on a mountaintop. These are people that want to be left alone. The Weavers were deeply religious, and they wanted to live in a style they believed was Old Testament Christian. This is my prime example of who finds this appealing. Right. They want to live like it's the Old Testament. That's literally what they want to do. Right. They want to separate themselves from a corrupt and dangerous world. And they're also incredibly racist. Let's yes. just say that. You guys, I'm sorry. We need to slow this down. Yeah, yeah. No running water. Mm -hmm. No electricity. No. No plumbing. Nope. No movie night. No nothing. No like no, no popcorn. Like, right. No like let's go to the CVS and get chapstick. Like the idea of it gives me such agita. I right. can't even because they're so scared of you. Right. You especially. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> hey, Randy Weaver. Hey, hey girl. Want to borrow my chapstick? <laughs> Ugh, no. <laughs> Who's she? <laughs> I don't know that Randy Weaver knew at the time that they moved to Ruby Ridge that they would be so close to the Aryan Nations compound, which was just 60 miles south. But they started showing up. So this white separatist who doesn't want to be near anyone right. <laughs> stumbles on the Aryan compound that's 60 miles away. And then the FBI guy's like, well, first it was purely social. And I'm like, okay, there's a sign that says whites only. I know. And a Confederate and Nazi flags all over the place. I think you know what you're getting into. Right. When you walk into the Aryan compound and you're like, hey, honey, look, at they're so nice. There's, there's Kevin and there's Chris and... 
Tom, and look, they're 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 super fun. Oh. That, that's when I'm just like, okay, well, this person's a racist who actually really wants other things to happen, exactly. Not just live alone. Also, wants like some social companionship. You guys, it's not just me. Even Arians want to, want to hang out with friends sometimes. Yeah, like if she gets in a fight with his wife, and she's like, I'm gonna go take a walk, and she's gonna be like, where? And he's like, the Arian compound, sixty miles away. <laughs> What's it to you? Why are you counting my drinks? <laughs> so they're at this meeting where they're trying to recruit like the really hardcore people. And I'm like, I feel like if you're already on the compound, you're pretty hardcore with <laughs> like the white supremacy. You, you, fa- you nailed it, you guys. You did it. You did it. So they, even the FBI guys, are, again, are like, so Randy Weaver's super racist. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, they go, he had trouble running two nickels together. Like he wanted to be a white separatist, <laughs> but then he realizes, oh, shit. How do I? Anyway. Right. One thing leads to another. Randy agrees to saw off some shotguns. Yeah. This is classic entrapment. It is. It is. Because it's the, the guys who get Randy Weaver to saw off the shotguns are FBI guys. Right. So the ATF entrap Randy Weaver to do all this illegal stuff basically so they can arrest him because they think he's easily flippable. Right. So they're like, well, we'll just do the entrapment. Whatever. Right. Everyone look the other way. It's white supremacists. Like, who's going to be like, excuse me. Exactly. You're entrapping a white supremacist. Right. Like, good. Um, so they think he, oh, we'll get him to flip. And he'll lead us to the people who are actually in charge. Because he's like a schlub. He's another derp. But it does not go that way. No, because of course this white separatist who hates everybody and everything isn't going to cooperate with the government. Like, yeah. Like ATF. Think this through a little bit a better. A little bit. Yeah. So Randy Weaver refuses to be an informant. And then he doesn't show up to a court appearance. Once you don't show up for trial, the case is assigned to the U.S. Marshals Service. And the U.S. Marshals Service doesn't know whether or not Randy Weaver was entrapped or if, how those shotguns came about. They just know they have a fugitive. The marshals brought in their special surveillance team, and they, they kind of skunked around the property trying to find a location to take him into custody without a problem. So they have, like, people sort of stationed throughout the forest. Like climbing on the mountain, like the walls of mountains. Is it called a wall? Whatever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My city kid is showing, isn't it? Yikes. So they're like surveilling him. Right. And what they see is these people are, they're constantly carrying guns. So it's like Randy, his wife, this guy, Kevin, and his two kids and the dog. So they get a little too close and the dog smells them, like gets a whiff of the marshals and starts attacking them. As I'm sure he's trained to do. All we know at that point was there was a shootout. Who shot who first is still subject to, you know, interpretation. But when it was all said and done, 14-year-old Sammy Weaver's dead. The dog's dead, and so is Federal Marshal William Deegan, killed on the property of white separatists. This does not mean that anyone has surrendered. The federal marshals are still in the woods. Right. No one's been taken into custody yet. Right. So now the FBI rolls up, and it's just insane. There are trucks, there are helicopters, vans, news trucks, tons and tons of people. Basically, like, the Ruby Ridge compound is, like, two miles off the road. Right. So the marshals have the, the road, like, blocked off, and this becomes a gathering spot for all of, like, the neighbors and the people who live nearby who are also crazy. And lots of white supremacists. Oh, boy. It's so a, many. They're just coming out of the woodwork. So this, and they're, and they're being completely unabashed about it. And they see the government's like rolling in tanks and that really sets people off. You call yourself an American? These are Americans. These are God-fearing people. You don't even know your constitution. Go back and read what your founding fathers said. So basically, the next, the day after the original firefight, there's another firefight. What happens is the Weavers leave the house to go out to the barn or whatever to check on Sammy's body, the dead kid. Yeah. And the marshals, they are given license to kill, basically. Like, mm-hmm. they don't need to fire a warning shot, and they don't. When the shot rings out, Randy is hit in the shoulder. 
They run back to the house, and another shot rings out. This shot goes through the door, hits Vicki Weaver in the face, splinters and wounds Kevin Harris, and drops Vicki dead to the floor. And so the people on the street that are gathered at that roadblock, they learn about this, and this makes them all go bonkers. And someone says, like, at any given day, there were between 50 and 200 people down there. And the footage, it's a small road in a small town. Uh-huh. 200 people in that small space seems like a 1,000. And so after a couple of days, Randy, like, turns himself in. But this whole Ruby Ridge situation completely radicalizes the far right. Right, because now it's like, see, this is a government who will kill men, women, children, dogs, anything to get what they want. They don't care. See, we've been right all along. Exactly. So we hear from one of our narrators, like, here's the thing. This is the start of, like, guns and religion being the two pillars of the white supremacist movement. Ugh. And this is very important. We're still dealing with it today. Exactly. Um, But this, Ruby Ridge was the start of this whole thing. So now the second part of this documentary is called The Flame. Remember we had the spark? Now we're at the flame. I thought I was the flame. Well, <laughs> you don't want to be this kind of flame, I girl. don't. You don't. I just, I don't want to be usurped on my own podcast. Okay, well, <laughs> enter the Branch Davidians, stage right. The Branch Davidians had been in Texas for over 50 years by the time that most people outside of Waco had ever heard of them. They were an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church They found a place just outside of Waco, called it Mount Carmel, and set up this community. I thought the Branch of Idiots just popped up out of nowhere. 50 years. Yeah. They've been there. That's generations. This is David Koresh, everybody. Yeah. This, this is, is Waco. Waco. I do love, we were saying before, like when the derpiness just comes through and this they get caught. This is kind of hilarious. I didn't, this I didn't know. Yeah. Lay it on us, girl. May of 1992, Sheriff's Department in Waco gets wind of like all of these grenades and <laughs> weapons going to the compound. Why? In about May of 1992, the Sheriff's Department in Waco got a report from a UPS truck driver about a shipment going to Mount Carmel. There was a box that fell apart, and some pineapple grenade hulls came out of the box. That's what prompted the beginning of the ATF investigation. Because the box fell apart, and some guy's like, what the, oh my God, they're like 80, what is this? So now the ATF realizes that they're making illegal weapons, and that's what starts this whole ball rolling. The FBI decides, and the ATF decides, they've got to raid the compound. Yeah, they're making weapons, there are kids, there's abuse, there's, it's, we, we got to put an end to this now. Okay, we get a little bit of information about, like, the local news reporting. Reporters for the Waco Tribune-Herald had really good sources in local law enforcement, and they had been tipped about when the raid was going to go down. So this, like, local reporter finds out about the day of the raid and drives down there and gets lost. And gets lost. And he's driving around trying to figure out where he is. When here comes a Buick station wagon, stops, rolls down the window, like, hey, buddy, are you lost? Hey, y'all lost? <laughs> I don't know what that voice is. Um, he says, yeah, I'm looking for Mount Carmel. There's going to be a big raid. I'm here for the, the big raid at the Branch Davidians <laughs> with the FBI and ATF. Do you know the, the big raid? And the person's like, the what? Turns out that the guy in the car is one of the inner circle of Koresh's followers. He immediately goes and tells Koresh, 
what was happening. And then David Koresh knows, and like, here we are. Can we talk about this for one second? Dude. What day of journalism school do they say, <sighs> um, if you ever get lost anywhere, what you should do is ask the person, ask the first person who comes upon who you. Who just happens to be like walking on this desolate road? Who was wearing like a Branch Davidian t shirt? Yeah, ask me about the Branch Davidians. <laughs> Hey, hey, you must know where the compound is. I see your shirt. You must be able to help me out. I don't want to miss the raid. I can't be late for the raid. And then I feel like the guy, the Branch Davidian, does that thing that Roadrunner does where he just like levitates yeah. off the ground. No, 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 no. And his feet just go in circles. There's a trail of dust behind him. And then the reporter's Wiley Coyote, 100%, just standing there like, what the... Right, and I feel like the reporter's like, huh, that guy wasn't very helpful at yeah. all. Hmm. still don't know where the raid... What time is that raid? I don't want to be... Li- I, w- I want to get a good spot for the, ra- for the raid on your compound. The raid that's happening. I want to get a good spot. <laughs> raid, you say? So yeah, because of that, the whole thing starts out with a two and a half hour firefight because Koresh and company were 10,000% trying to kill the ATF. In the middle of the firefight, the reporter's like tiptoeing, like, I gotta, <laughs> I know. looking around, seeing the chaos they caused. Ooh, I gotta, I actually have a source I gotta get talking to. They had 45 minutes to prepare for us and began firing on us as soon as we got there. I heard an M60 machine gun being fired. Then I heard the AK-47, and then I heard the 50 calibers. Just a brutal, brutal weapon. There's no doubt these people were trying to kill us. The firefight went on for two and a half hours, and when they finally agreed to a ceasefire, we were able to get our people and, and, and get out. So the firefight is over. There's death and wounds on both sides. And and they're trying to negotiate, but it's clear that like Koresh is not coming out. Right. So they say, look, we'll broadcast the tape of your nonsense to the whole world. We'll give it to the media if you just start letting more and more people out. At this point, that's all. They're not asking for him. Uh-huh. They're just saying, you kind of have it made, right? You get to stay in there. You can start letting people out, and the world will hear your message. Exactly. He agrees. Right. So guess what? He goes back on his word. Right, so they play this stupid message, and he doesn't come out. Why? God told him to wait. I know. And the FBI guy calls him garbage. He's on the phone. He's like, David Koresh, that's garbage, and you know it. We had an agreement, sweetheart. Come on now. So all of a sudden, their tac- the FBI's tactics change. They get super aggressive. They say they get, like, tanks, and they drive over David Koresh's prized cars. This guy has prized cars? I know. It's ridiculous. What? Did God tell you to buy those and give a shit about Ferraris, too? Come on. It's like, it's out of the same book. Can you imagine, like, just being a local Waco resident? You see David Koresh at the drive-thru yeah. in his Lamborghini. Picking up chicks. <laughs> Give me a break. But now, you guys, Waco is the place where they played all the music. Remember? Right. They blasted the music. They also set up loudspeakers and they began blasting Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking. Christmas carols. I was all in on the Christmas carols, and all of a sudden I was like, wait, this sounds sort of like a spa weekend. Right. I was like, Boots Are Made for Walking. You can listen to that three times in a row. Easy. <laughs> Just suddenly in the middle of the summer, I'm getting Christmas carols blared in my window? Please. I can live with that. A zillion percent. I thought you wanted to come out. Yeah. No, we're having a party now. (laughs) Turn it up. So this is where we learned that there's like a mountain overlook, like three miles from the compound, which was the the closest that like onlookers could get. Yeah. And all these people show up. Guess who's one of the people who shows up in Waco to sell like white supremacist and Nazi bumper stickers? Timothy McVeigh. There's video of it, you guys. There's video. Timothy McVeigh had already apparently been very concerned about what had happened at Ruby Ridge. 
So he came down to Waco and sold bumper stickers with pro-gun, anti-government slogans. Just, uh, just arrived today. Somebody told me a lot of people are, would be scared to put something on you know, like this. He saw the raid as clear evidence of what the government would do to try to confiscate guns and persecute gun owners. And we get one of the journalists where she was like, we got all kinds coming to Waco to <laughs> see the show. All kinds. So uh, now we have to learn about Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, basically I have Timothy McVeigh loved guns, blah, fucking blah. Yeah, he hated bullies, guns, joined the fucking club. Right. Then he became one, whatever. He loved guns. Get out of here. Loved guns. He was a gun nut. So he, he joins the military. Look, he seems like a smart kid. And he was the top gun and a leader. We get it. He liked the guns. Exactly. Fuck this guy. Oh my God, I'm getting so mad. I know. Look. He goes over to Iraq and he's doing really well. People are paying attention to him. But he, he has a moment of humanity. It was in the war that McVeigh first started to become disillusioned with the military and the United States government when he killed Iraqi soldiers he didn't feel the exhilaration that he thought he would he took a very very long sniper shot and killed an Iraqi soldier and he described seeing some man's head explode and he could not see the reason for it he could not really understand what the United States was doing there. My sister was uh, spent years in Iraq, and a lot of people felt the same way, which was like, what are we doing here? These are people too. Why are we killing them? What's the point of this whole mission? He got super disillusioned by it, and in turn, a disillusioned to the American government. Yes. Sorry, I just gave a monologue. No, no, no. I agree with all of that. Like, Vietnam, the same thing. Like, uh-huh. why are we here? Uh-huh. But what sparked that is that he didn't feel the exhilaration he thought he would killing all these non-white people. I know. He thought he was going to feel a little better. Uh-huh. That's what started it. And to me, that's like, mm-mm-mm. That's not what your sister was saying. No. You know no, what I mean? No, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, That was the spark. I want to know more about his childhood and, like, what were the warning signs? Like, was did he just go crazy? Did he not go crazy? Was he killing animals? Like, what was he like as a kid? Yeah, I don't know. And the thing is, if there were warning signs, that's one thing. If there weren't, and this conspiracy of the government and these evil people and the white supremacy turned him into this that's even scarier yeah 100% that he had he was just like a bullied kid who kind of couldn't fit in anywhere and like he found his place here and then did this horrible thing like that's scary like I can't no I agree 100% so he's disillusioned with the army but he gets invited to like go train for ranger school which is really fucking hard he fails at it and he drops out of the military and all of a sudden he's a failure to himself he stayed around the army for a few more months but his heart just wasn't in it anymore He went back home and he thought it would be easy to get a good job because of his army experience, but he found that it wasn't. Failure was eating at him. He told us that I feel like I reached a pinnacle in the army and then after that, everything was just mediocrity. And so now he's just like this disillusioned kid who's really sad. He fe- he was super susceptible to conspiracy theories. He started getting really into them. Guys, this is a callback to Mark Sargent and the Flat Earth. Uh-huh. It's the same thing. Yeah, and he gets very, very influenced by the Turner Diaries, that how to, like, how to blow up the government book. Yes, exactly. Th- that's when he's like, interesting. Yep, and he's fighting with his family and he doesn't have a girlfriend. So he like hits the road and starts going to gun shows. Uh-huh. And this is the crazy thing because gun shows aren't just gun 
gun. It's not just a place to go buy and sell guns. It is a place where pe- people from the Aryan nation and white supremacists go to swap conspiracy theories about how the government is out to steal and take their guns. Right. And their religion. Right. And Timothy McVeigh was super susceptible to this and he goes to these conventions and he falls in with this crowd. And this is where his, you know, staying up late, reading the Turner Diaries, sort of interested in this conspiracy theory, gets put into practice. Right. Because he's not only hanging out with these people, he's becoming friends with these people and he's getting involved in this world. And the thing is, you can't like kind of be into a conspiracy theory. I mean, you can kind of be into a conspiracy theory, but it, we, when you cross that line into like acting on it. What, I'm saying like you can't go to the compound and be like, I'm just a little interested. It's like right. either you are or you're not. <laughs> yeah, there's no information session at the Aryan Nation compound. Where they're just like either you're with us or you're against us. That's right. their whole thing. And there you are in the middle of the woods. You got to make a choice and you got to make it now. I'm like, shit, do I go to Randy Weaver's or do I just stay here? <laughs> they have a toilet. Randy Weaver doesn't, but everyone's a white supremacist. <laughs> shit. So we're back to the Waco standoff, right? Day it's, 40. It's been going on. Day 40. Yikes. God. Day 40 of Nancy Sinatra. I, I know. <laughs> and so the ATF realizes that they need a new tactic. And basically, the idea that they're proposing is to take their tanks and, like, plunge holes in various walls and then, like, put in tear gas. Right. So they go to Attorney General at the time, Janet, Janet Reno. Reno. God, remember when we had a normal Attorney General? Uh. Janet Reno, I miss you, girl. So... She's she, like, no, bitch. Yeah, she's like, um, <laughs> before the tear gas and the destruction, I need a little more information. I'm not just going to approve this out of nowhere. And they're like, fine, here's a bunch of videos of 14-year-old girls he's had babies with. And she's like, okay, I approve. Where do I sign? <laughs> Signing an initial? You need yeah. a stamp? You need my fingerprints? Blood type? Yeah, whatever. Do it. But here's the thing. While she approves that, and they're like, okay, great. So they're going to put all these holes in the, the buildings and put like a bunch of tear gas in there. At the same time, there is audio that the ATF didn't hear at the time because of all of the, I don't know, death and destruction. Like the audio from inside the compound is David Koresh and people saying like, David's orders add more fuel. We had gotten court authorized permission to insert microphones into that building that morning. We couldn't hear anything live because there's too much noise. Too much ambient noise. But once the tapes are scrubbed, someone clearly says, put on your masks. Shortly after that, you distinctly hear orders to spread the fuel. They yeah. are putting fuel all over the compound, which is an accelerant for the tear gas. And all of a sudden, and this happens on live television. All of a sudden, there's like a little spark out a window, and then the whole goddamn place is just up in flame. As you can see on your screen, there is a great deal of smoke coming out of the building. Let's go to Mike Caps. We can also see some flames there now. Mike, what can you tell us? What can you see? Bonnie, for the last 15 minutes, we've watched this M60 vehicle, this uh, combat engineering vehicle, uh, make large holes in the side of this building and pump uh, tear gas in there. Uh, Now we have a very large-scale fire breaking out on what must be the south side, right near the front side of this building. The thing is on fire, and the the really sad thing is all these journalists being like, we were waiting for the streams. We know there's like 80 people in there. Right. No one comes out. One lady falls out a window, runs back in. Runs back in. Can you imagine? No. No. So, you know, there were 80 or 90 people in, in the compound at the time. 
And 80 or 90 people perished in the explosion. It's just unreal. And we we see all these ATF and FBI guys being like, this sucked. Like, they're very honest about, like, if if we only knew, this yeah. is not our goal. Were mistakes made? Mistakes were we absolutely made. up here. Yeah. Now, Clinton passes the Brady Bill. So, the Brady Bill was, like, one of the very few times in American history where we've been able to, like, successfully put in, like, sensible gun restrictions. Right. The combination of the perceived government assassination of the Weaver family, the perceived military government murdering its own citizens in Waco, and then the Brady Bill, the government coming after your guns, just exploded the recruitment of anti-government extremists. What they are spewing, which is false, is that, like, the ATF is going to treat every single home in the world like Waco and Uh storm in and take your guns. It's just, it's fear. It's fear-mongering. Yeah. But it's working because you see, we see this map and there are, like, these little organizations popping up all over the country. In places where you're like, wait, what? Exactly. They're everywhere. So now part three the inferno. So Timothy McVeigh, they tell us, after Waco and after the passing of the Brady Bill, he's like, you know what? The Turner Diaries say that in order to make change, you've got to take action. Mm -hmm. So now he's trying to figure out what the action is he's going to take. Tim McVeigh had read in the Turner Diaries of how generally you could build a truck bomb. He found other articles that told him exactly how to build a truck bomb. He wanted to do what Earl Turner did, take down a government building. He's going to build a truck bomb and recruit two army buddies to help him out, Terry Nichols and Michael Fortier. So here's the thing. They they realize the main ingredient in like a truck bomb is fertilizer. Mm -hmm. They go to a store and they buy 200 pounds of fertilizer. Here's my question. Uh We hear stories all the time of people going to like hardware stores and buying a tarp and a knife and kerosene and matches and a body bag. And people are just like, boop. Yeah. Did you find everything okay? Y'all like, doing okay tonight? <laughs> How? Why are you allowed to buy all of those things? Like, if if we know as a culture that that fertilizer is the main ingredient in a truck bomb, why is anybody allowed to buy two hundred pounds of it at once? We mentioned that he, he like recruited two of his army friends. Yeah, Th- these two army friends are just like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah, until they're like, oh wait, 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 for real. <laughs> right. Oh, no, no, no. I just signed up to be, like, the worst dude in the bar, like, screaming hate speech. I didn't show up to, like, build a bomb and actually do it. Oh, my God. It was also around this time that he and Fortier and Nichols began selecting what was going to be the target of their bomb. They picked the Murrah building in Oklahoma City in part because the ATF, who had conducted the raid on the Branch Davidians, had an office in the building. They thought it was appropriately symbolic that they would go after somebody who was directly connected to Waco. And, you know, he says, this is so horrible, you guys. He says, no, there's got to be a body count. There's got to be enough dead people for people to take notice. Yeah. And then there's this discussion of whether or not he knew that there was a daycare center in there. And somebody says, like, he has indicated that it wouldn't have mattered. A daycare center, you guys. A day, a fucking daycare center. And to him, it's all about the numbers. It's horrible. It's horrible. So he picks April 19th because that's the anniversary of Waco. Again, I beg. Different word than anniversary, please. I- <laughs> For when something's horrible, can we we need a different word. Even commemorate sounds no, like... No, commemorate is more like, it wasn't that fun. wasn't yeah, that special. Let's commemorate. But I can't keep saying anniversary of Waco. Like, no. I know. So basically on Easter Sunday, like three days before the bombing, Tim McVeigh calls up his friend Terry and he's like, girl, it's on. The next day McVeigh goes alone, apparently to rent a truck in Junction City. 
the big rider truck that he will use as a bomb. They asked him, do you need insurance on it? He said, no, I won't need any insurance. And he said, do you need any extra days? And he said, no, I won't need any extra days. We actually have him on video coming in at the McDonald's about a mile away from where he picked up the truck. And then he also stashes a getaway car. Like he's like he's going to get away with this. He wrote a handwritten note that was like, hi, please don't tow. Thanks. <laughs> thank, thanks. Bye. Like, he what? put it on the windshield. What is they have a picture of it. Ugh. April 18th was bomb making day. McVeigh drove the truck out to Geary Lake State Park where they would assemble the bomb. He was extremely upset because Nichols was starting to get cold feet. He threatened to kill Nichols and his family if Nichols refused to help him with the final preparations. These two army buddies are total garbage for going on his travels with him and helping him buy the supplies and build a bomb. But it really is like it's his show. It is. But the thing that really bothers me, one of them helps him build a bomb in this moment. The other one is like pieces out a little bit sooner. Yeah. Nobody calls the police. Right. They just go away. They just go away. When you've just made the bomb with this guy, you can't tell me that you didn't think he was actually going to go through with it. Oh, yeah. No, they're not off the hook. Yeah. I'm just saying this was so his thing. Like nothing was going to stop him. Even his friends who he thought like, hey, let's all do this together. Like even them getting cold feet and running away didn't deter him from doing this. He was super focused. Uh, But after they build the bomb in the park, the friend, Terry, is like, girl, I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm not going with you. And he gets on the highway and like drives away. It just now got real. Go fuck I know. yourself, Terry. Fucking Terry, God. He was nervous as he drove into Oklahoma City, but I don't think he ever second-guessed himself. I don't think he ever thought for a minute that this was the wrong thing to do. When he got close to the building, he pulled the truck over and lit two different fuses leading back to the bomb. And he just walks away. Yeah. And hours later, hours later, they find the rear axle of the rider truck, the so truck bomb truck. Here's the thing that I didn't know, and apparently neither did Timothy McVeigh. On this rear axle, there's a number that is the identification number for this specific truck. I did not know that at all. And of all things, like this is something where it's like, this guy needed to be caught. Some of kind course. of universe was like, of, I mean, the building was completely destroyed. Yeah. The truck was destroyed, but this axle is here with the number on it. We were able to trace that number to a rider truck assigned to Elliott's Body Shop in Junction City, Kansas. We immediately deployed special agents to that rider truck rental shop. We learned that uh, it had been rented by a gentleman with a South Dakota driver's license by the name of Robert Kling. We had three principal witnesses there inside the, the truck rental. They described a military-type person, about six foot tall, thin, close-shaven. And they make a sketch. Right. And it's such a small town that they're, like, taking these sketches, and they're just asking every place of business if they've seen these guys. And so one of the places that they go to is the Dreamland Hotel. Sounds like it rents by the hour, which is fine. (laughs) The Dreamland Hotel. But the person working the desk at this Dreamland Hotel sees the sketch, and they're like, oh, yeah, that person checked in, like, two days ago. She pulls out her records, and for all of McVeigh's planning, he apparently had a moment of weakness, and he signed his own name to the register. So now they run the name. 
Right. Turns out, this is, I love shit like this. I live for it. Turns out this bitch was just pulled over on his way to Kansas because he didn't have a goddamn license plate on his car. Which is like the most obvious thing in the world. Whoop, whoop, he gets pulled over. Oh, he has a gun on him. Right. (laughs) Doesn't he? This was like the Ted Bundy tapes all over again. Yeah. The cop like takes him into custody and like nobody really knows who he is. Well, what about that shirt he was wearing? The t-shirt he is wearing says, sick, sick. Semper Tyrannus, thus ever to tyrants. It was what John Wilkes Booth shouted when he shot Lincoln. So he's just in jail for like two days. So the feds who have figured out that Timothy McVeigh is the the likely bomber, having run the name, they find out that he's at this jail. They call just in the nick of time. And they're like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, we're on our way, we're on our way. Keep him, keep him there. Two federal agents interview him in the Noble County Sheriff's office. And the agents start by saying, do you know why we're here? And McVeigh says, does it have something to do with the bombing? It seems like it took them five minutes to figure the whole thing out. It does seem that way, which, yeah. which I love. I know. And all of a sudden, we're like outside of the of the courthouse where he had been moved to. The perp walk. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this. I, I remember the first time you see Timothy McVeigh come out of the courthouse. And the thing that is so insane about it is, remember we were saying earlier, everyone just assumed it was a Middle East attack? Mm-hmm. They bring him out. It's a white guy. It's yeah. a white American guy. And we understood in a kind of flash... Uh, that uh, there were enemies within this country, not foreign terrorists, but red-blooded Americans who were engaged in a war against America. I think everybody felt this sudden sense of betrayal. I think everyone thought, you're one of us. So, whatever. They link Timothy to a house in Maine, which is how they find that guy, Terry, who was, like, the co-conspirator on this. Yeah, they literally find receipts. Like, actual, like, paper receipts. Yeah. They have the receipts in in every sense of the term. They find all the evidence they need, and Timothy goes on trial, and he's given the death sentence. Yeah, and Michael Fortier, one of the the army buddies, the first one who got cold feet, testifies against him. Testifies against him, and Terry Nichols, the one that, like, helped him build the bomb, but then was like, later, girl, I'm not coming with you, is also convicted of 168 murders. Yeah. So Tim McVeigh gets the death the death sentence. Terry Nichols gets life in prison without parole. Fortier? Yeah. Gets 12 years, only serves like six, and you guys, he's in the witness protection program. Yeah. Send him back to Idaho. He's probably <laughs> listening to this. Girl, hi. We, we, uh, hey. Hey, 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 yeah. hey, crazy garbage hey. monster. We think you're garbage if you're listening. Yeah. Can I say something that really moved me in a heartfelt way? Yeah. These the witnesses and survivors and parents of the people or or family of people who perished in the building. Um, when they were on trial, they were so strong. They were like, "We're stronger than him. We are not scared of him. We're not yeah. intimidated." It was so moving to see, like, after all of this this actual terror that this person caused, they walked in there strong with their heads held high and said, "Like, no, we got you. You're gonna yeah. pay for this, and we're not scared of you." Oh, we did it. That oh, was a rough one. That was rough. I learned a ton. I really enjoyed it. Me too. The documentary. Yeah. And how they covered it. I'm sorry. That sounded, ooh. You guys, before we forget, June 29th, our Pride show. Come. Tickets are going really fast. Once again, I'm doing Pride tours all over the village that morning. Anybody with a ticket to the show is welcome on the tour. We're going to send up sign-ups for whichever tour you want to come on uh, about a week before the show. Yep. You guys, we've got drag queens. We've got a comic opening for us. It is going to be a party, and there is a surprise. I'm not, I can't even don't talk say, about don't, it. You've said too much already. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Girl, also, our Patreon. Yes. You know, if you want more of Jillian and me, 
And who and who doesn't? <laughs> Join us at the five dollar level, you guys. You get like ninety episodes to binge instantly. Yeah, it's the staircase. It's the Jinx making a murderer. And then for at the ten dollar level, it's all of that plus ad free versions of these episodes. Exactly. Also, Lorena. Yep. And we're starting the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Yeah, the one on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Girl, what are we doing next? We're doing Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. Yeah, you guys. It's Pride Month, and you know we love to bring you those LGBT stories, especially this month. Matthew Shepard, if you don't remember, he was the gay kid in Wyoming who in 1998 was tied to a fence and beaten to death for being gay. Uh, And it's a story that's really close to my heart and I've actually not seen this documentary. Really? So I'm really excited to see this and talk about it with you. Yes, of course. Girl, where can they find us? TrueCrimeObsessed.com for, oh, I don't know, episodes, (laughs) a calendar of our episodes. (laughs) Promo codes from all our ads, our merch. See us live. See us live. And we are at TrueCrimeObsessed on Twitter and at TrueCrimeObsessed podcast on the Instagram. You guys follow us on the Insta. I'm doing Insta stories like every single day. It's my favorite thing. Yes. Where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things. Uh, I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram and at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. Um, You guys, this week our palate cleanser is going to be from the new Broadway revival of Oklahoma. I knew it. I think that we should do a positive Oklahoma thing to end this out. Great. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it's Ali Stroker playing Ado Annie. She's the first wheelchair bound woman to perform on a Broadway stage. Uh, and this wasn't her first Broadway role. Her first Broadway role was in the revival of Spring Awakening. Oh, I know. I'm obsessed with her. I know. It's amazing. She's so great. We need more of that, everybody, in theater. definitely do. Let's get some representation going. Yep. Uh, So stay tuned for the preview for Matt Shepard is a friend of mine, followed by our hilarious outtakes. Hmm. TM, 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 And then our palate cleanser. Yep. We love you. We love you. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Matthew Shepard. I don't know how many times in my life I've called him Matthew. It's just always been Matt to me. And he was just my friend. I can't picture him as an adult. I can't picture him growing up, but that's not the friend I had. Look, there's my brother. He's awesome. Awesome. Nice, nice. My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. What was tied to this fence about a mile outside of Laramie was not a trick, it was real. The battered body of Matthew Shepard, beaten almost to death, barely alive. Matthew's mother said, please tell everybody who's listening to go home, give your kids a hug, and don't let a day go by without telling them that you love them. They're very grateful that when they last saw Matthew His last words to them were, I love you. I am so pissed off. I can't stop crying. One thing must remain clear. Hate and prejudice are not American values. Why did he become the icon? Say hi, Mom. It wasn't because Matt was special. He was very, very special to the people that were close to him. But so has every single person who's been killed. How can it help open people's eyes? The fact that I haven't come to terms with this is the way it is. You don't ever think things like that are going to happen to people that you know or, or that are close to you. I don't think we could even talk about it until now. 
know who you're not allowed to talk about this episode. What? No. No, 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 no. Timothy McVeigh, I have nothing for him. I have no sexual desires for him. You know how they say it in in the Northeast? How? Spotify. (laughs) 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 Timmy and Lancey, that's probably how they say it. Spotify. Spotify. That's a joke lifted right from Ted Michael Reed's sketches. It's my (laughs) phone. Sorry. I'm just stealing jokes left and right. Spotify. 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 Here's the thing. You disagree with it entirely, like living out in the in a ditch or whatever, in I a don't, cabin with no... That's, I, I want to amend the Constitution. People shouldn't be allowed to do right, that. So, <laughs> don't start with that. Um, yeah. You don't think know. God came to him in a dream? I don't. <laughs> um, not saying I don't think it's possible. Right. It didn't happen with this guy. This guy just wanted to have... The sound of dying rabbits? Like, how do you even have that, I, Atia? <laughs> Why are you doing that? I'm never gonna sleep again. Like it's just be it's the fear of the unknown and I don't wanna hear it. Right. And I'm never gonna hear no, it. But I it's know. like what is it? Like how many times can you listen to All I Want for Christmas is you? There's there's absolutely a limit for me. <laughs> Not for me. I know. On repeat, you guys. I know. Get that shit on repeat. In July. The hottest the- day of the year. <laughs> All I want for is you. Ooh, ooh, baby. Uh. Sweater weather. That's now we're back to Brooklyn now. Sweater weather. That's another joke lifted from Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph. What am I even Sweater doing here? Weather. To fire That's me. I'm just so stealing jokes funny. left and right. Sweater weather. Are they just say it about... You've never seen that sketch? No. Oh, I'll play for you after. It's so funny. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. What do you want to do? It's sweater weather. It ain't so much a question of not knowing what to do. I know what's right and wrong since I've been ten. I hear a lot of stories and I reckon they are true About how girls are put upon by men I know I mustn't fall into the pit But when I'm with a feller I forget For a while, I act 
can do for him what he would do for me. I can't resist. 